0: Cinema Guild is proud to present The Wild Pear Tree from Palm Door winner Nuri Bilge Chelan. Says Bilge Berry in The Village Voice, Chelan delivers what might be his funniest, most politically poignant work yet. The Wild Pear Tree is now playing at Film Forum. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com.
1: Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor in chief of Film Comment, and this is another episode in our Sundance Film Festival podcasts. Um, And we are currently in a busy place, reflective of the frenetic energy and uh difficulty of finding rooms <laughs> at sundance
2: you know we've seen a bunch of stuff so we're eager to talk about
1: it and i'm very pleased to be joined by
3: devika Girish, film comment contributor
2: and eric hines curator of film museum of the moving image and a film comment columnist and but i'm just gonna i'm gonna just jump in and, and please do and help describe where we are because i think it's a special place it's a place that means a lot to me actually we are at the double tree which is the former Yarrow Hotel, which is actually the one hotel where the festival housed its guests once upon a time when the festival moved to Park City. Um, And for the longest time, it had a very downtrodden, very old appearance and quality to it. And they've renovated it. They've renovated it several times and never seemed to stick, which only made it even more touching for me uh, and appealing uh, it felt like old Park City in that sense and it's since become a double tree and is actually is quite it's much nicer now but it's the same architecture but we're there's a theater here um, where they show f- screenings and it's also kind of a big meeting place this t- this area of town so there's a there's a buzz around us of people coming and going and meeting which hopefully is not distracting and instead creates a sense of drama around
3: hopefully it's podcast. not more interesting than than what we say <laughs>
1: I find it energizing, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's, I, I think we've been talking about you know a lot of the movies that people might have expected us to talk about. So I thought this might be a good episode for us to bring out uh, films you might not recognize by filmmakers you might not recognize. Um, who wants to start? I think we all have maybe one that, that we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Eric, you haven't been quiet. <laughs> well, I guess we should, you and I both saw Honeyland Oh, we did see uh, it Yesterday. Yeah. Um, I don't have any details in front of me. Do you remember filmmaker names or anything like that? It's from Macedonia. It's, it's two filmmakers, maybe yep. even three. Yes. Well, I mean, yesterday at the, the Q&A, there were a, a male and female filmmaker, but then also an editor who was very involved, and two DPs. So there are quite a few number of people. So I'm Divika has actually supplied this for us, and I'm going to... So uh, Nick, Nick has a list here.
1: I, oh, yeah. I think you're referring to Lubomir... Stefanov and uh, Tamara Kotevska. Okay. Uh, those are, they're they're listed as the directors, but of, of yes. course, many people make a muckle. <laughs> yes, they do. But a muckle's a bad thing, so this is a good thing. Yeah, and it was. So a good it takes thing. a lot of
2: bees to make honey. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be using such a metaphor, but it's. Uh, so we are looking, we were following in particular one uh, woman who collects honey in the area around where she lives. She lives in kind of a stone home on a a, hill, a mountainside and she's also just taking care of her 85 year old mother um who's infirm um spends all the time in this modest house and she f- has all these different pockets where she you know s- uh, stashes hives and and uh has a set of bees that are her own basically and makes just enough to bring honey into town and sell Um, and there's a whole economy there that emerges but at some point uh, maybe about a third of the way through in a kind of classic narrative sense I believe uh, a family moves in next door a very big family I think there's a mother a father and seven children I think Um, and at first she's energized by it and excited by the fact that she has company because she's very lonely there with a very old mother Um, and so she befriends the children and she even befriends the husband and um, gets involved in their lives a bit and teaches them really uh, some of the the trade of of harvesting honey. Um, but then that doesn't that becomes quite complicated because uh, their presence winds up disrupting her um, honey harvesting, and it becomes a bit of a traumatizing experience for her. That's the plot, but it's it's not the film that's really all that. I mean, there is there is there's a kind of classic narrative setup to it, but it winds up being, I think, a lot more about the moment-to-moment observations.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I really liked Honeyland. It's a, I, I just, I mean, a really interesting thing happens when you go from the kind of apparent absolute solitude of 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 the woman and her mother, who it's it's almost like they're, they're this pair, there's no one else, it's just them and the bees. And she goes to town to sell stuff, but that's that's about it, to sell honey. And then you have another family come in and suddenly you have this clash of two very different families. You know, one is this very kind of quiet, self-sufficient family. Another is just this raucous, like family circus. I don't mean the cartoon so much, it's just like (laughs) a circus like family. You know, they they like scream at their kids. They like, they cuff their kids if they do things wrong. The kids like rough house and run into each other and injure themselves. And then as soon as the bees enter the picture, the Dad is kind of an amateur at it because he's yeah. just learning it, so they're constantly getting stung it's almost it's definitely comical yeah it's it's also like you you're just waiting for someone to break yeah. because uh you know the woman that we start with has such a kind of stable system that's going along, and you're kind of wondering what her history and her background is you get to learn a little bit of that uh, as as you go along, but you're just waiting for the equilibrium to be to be disrupted, and the way they do it I think is you know, I think they do it in a, in a nuanced and, and unforced way. It doesn't feel like, oh, everything's ruined, like she's, because having the other family, family kind of awakens her like, that's cliche. Let's just say she likes the kids in the other family yeah, yeah. and really likes hanging out with them. Actually takes a cotton to the, to the dad as well, and they kind of have a drink, you know, the fi- fire side initially, and then they kind of come into conflict as well. Um, I almost wanted to know more about the mom of the giant yeah. family. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I thought the cinematography was really pretty, beautiful, haunting because they're isolated. It's it's like a, it's a kind of like bucolic, but a little craggy kind of environment that you might have for a horror movie or something if something was going wrong, you know, very evocative, like mm-hmm. uh, sort of mountainscape that's in the background. And she, she seems to be living in what looks like, was originally like a larger farm or right, even right. village settlement she's kind of taken up residence there yeah. and when that family rolls in it really is kind of like a circus coming in cuz they oh, totally. roll yeah. in as a caravan yeah in terms of nationality it's kind of interesting because it's in macedonia but uh, the the woman and her mother are turkish right uh, so i guess they're just a turkish minority there and then it it turns out the family that mm. visits that comes in is also turkish right so there's kind of that that maybe has even more of a resonance for people who know, yeah, know yeah. the area but even that was was is kind of there. You know, they seem they both are kind of minority and a bit on the margins there. I mean, there's I don't even know how she, does she. Do they even show her like getting to town? Do we know how she gets there? She's just kind of at the market at one point.
2: Oh, they do, and do it's, it's it's escaping me.
1: Oh, now. is it? Well, they have a kind of recurring motif of her walking solitary across the land. Yeah, but she gets in
2: a car at some she point. Gets in a car. She's okay. in the
1: back of a of a. Oh, she has a Porsche. That's what it is. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. It's it's kind of one of the older ones from like the '60s. It's very stylish. Um.
2: That's but a lie. Um, it's it's one it's one of these films that it's it's great to see here. Yes. Um. I mean, I had this. Uh, you know, this is probably. I don't mean to be harsh to the film at all. Cause I like it quite a bit. But there is a way in which, at a European festival, you could see multiple films like this. Um, it's true. Yeah. And it's so great to see it in this context because. Yeah, it just stands out. Um, and it's from that European or Eastern European documentary tradition where it's effectively scripted, not in the sense that you're watching scenes that have been directed, but it's clearly following a real arc that they've sketched out either while filming or in the editing. Uh, and so there's a real sturdiness to this. There's, there's, if, if it winds up being with a light touch consequential in terms of the scenes adding up to something. And you know i mean I've, just a film like from last year that i think of that fits in this is like communion the polish union yeah right. which is very it's very very different film about a very different subject but it, it plays in a somewhat similar way where it's beautifully shot and deliberately shot and made um you're watching people in their actual home environments having relationships <laughs> but it 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 fits together very very well Yeah. Um, so yeah no I honeyland's Great. good yeah i mean i guess in a larger context
1: here there was an early claim that they were trying to give program more world, yeah. international films. Um, I'm I'm happy to give them that if this is the product. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and actually, speaking of other non-American as opposed to un-American films, uh, we can talk about. I'll talk about one of those shortly. Uh, Devika, you saw one that you liked?
3: Yes. So I saw Queen of Hearts, which is a Danish film, so also part of the world cinema. Uh, I guess expanded edition and you know it's my first Sundance so something I've like learned in the last few days is really there's no way of telling if a film is going to be good or bad no matter how much (laughs) research you do so sometimes it's just like blind chance and being okay with losing two hours of your day to garbage but
2: or if you're Nick you just walk out after 20 minutes yeah, I'm. <laughs> no, you've admit you said that a couple of times. You have a, you have, which is a strategy. If you have something else to see, yeah, you do I mean, that. yeah, you know, life is short. Yeah, you know, I need Play to hard. get on
3: that level. I'm, I'm, I'm too. I, I don't know. I, 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 I just worry about just being mean to you know years of filmmaking. I have, the, <laughs> I have
2: the same. I
1: have the same instinct. But, but, but Eric, don't you have the pinned tweet that art doesn't owe you anything? <laughs> Does it mean that we're you, referring how? to pinned tweets now in the air? <laughs> um, I got to get the younger audience.
2: Our, <laughs> I, well, that's a whole other discussion. I'm yes, sorry. I didn't mean, to, didn't mean to, to. All
3: right. Well, coming back to uh, Sundance. So you,
2: it's unpredictable.
3: It's unpredictable. So this was a film I just walked in blind because I didn't have anything else I wanted to see at that time. And I was just taken by surprise. It was very good. So uh, happy ending to great. this. Great.
2: That's a great happy this ending.
3: This story. Uh, so yeah, it's a Danish film uh, directed by Mai El Tuki. And the basic plot is there's this a uh, woman who basically has this, like, affair with her stepson. And I know that just sounds like your classic European Freudian art house, <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah. But it, this film is really much more complex than that. And I, I think almost, like, subverts that, I think, at this point, trope. And the reason it's it's a little, I think, uh, more deeper is, first of all, this woman who's played by this really, uh, you know, stunning actress named... I think Trine, Trina Durholm, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name, uh, you know, recurring struggle here. But uh, <laughs> um, and and so she is a lawyer who specifically works with uh, victims of sexual abuse or uh, in general abuse. But she's shown working with vict- victims of rape and, you know, trying to get them justice. And there's kind of a hint that she might have had experiences like that when she was younger so a lot of the film kind of focuses on how, you know, she become, she just becomes incapable of distinguishing between right and wrong in her personal life when that is like clearly very cut and dried in her professional life. And the first half of the film kind of really brings you into her world and makes you sympathize with her as sort of an older woman with two, you know, daughters and and kind of someone who's uh, insecure about her age and and kind of uh, looking for, I guess, a new lease on her sexual life and just that sort of thing. And so it it kind of gets you there. and then you start to kind of confront the abusive, dimensions of her relationship with her stepson and the stepson also you know he he comes to live with this family because he's like this problem child and so he's sent to live with his father so again in the beginning you you're kind of maybe biased against him but then slowly you realize you know he's really vulnerable too and then there's a certain moment in the film there's like there's this switch where uh, which I didn't see coming where she um suddenly uh, she's well, I, I don't think I'm spoiling too much. She's confronted about this, about what she's been doing. And she just goes into this like ap- mode of absolute denial and starts using all the tactics that we know abusers use. Just you know fully delves into that side of things. And then the movie gets really interesting and also absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's really gutting by the end, but the way it just zeroes in on those emotional tactics, the precise emotional dimensions of these kinds of relationships, and and just the uh, you know I, the really murky nature of abuse and and kind of distinguishing between desire and abuse and insecurity that sort of thing, uh, without ever you know justifying what's happening on screen. So uh, really, I thought, remarkable story in that sense and also beautifully directed. I mean, she, the director just has this sense of control. It's not over-directed. It's understated. But st- you can tell, you know, the cinematography and the way certain gestures of the actors are just captured, like very little things that uh, that are very revealing. And there's... There's an ending shot that I'm kind of still thinking about, and which is, again, just this shot of just a, just a gesture, uh, just an unspoken gesture that's uh, very powerful and it's still lingering in my mind. So definitely a, a gem that I discovered by chance.
1: Yeah, Queen of Hearts. Mm-hmm.
0: Cinema Guild is proud to present The Wild Pear Tree from Palm Door winner Nuri Bilga Chelan. Following in the great tradition of family dramas like Death of a Salesman and Long Day's Journey Into Night, The Wild Pear Tree weaves an evocative tale of creative struggle and familial responsibility with inspired performances, sumptuous imagery, and surprising bursts of humor. A critical hit when it premiered at Cannes, The Wild Pear Tree is now playing at Film Forum. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com.
1: Actually, if we could stick, stick with you, Devika, I think uh, you've also been seeing some of the shorts, which it'd yes. be nice to give some attention to those. Um, were, there, were there any one or two that kind of stood out to you? Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one.
3: <laughs> okay. I'll keep it short for the shorts. Um, I haven't been able to see as many as I would like, but one I definitely want to give a shout out to is a, a short in the New Frontier section called America. Uh, by filmmaker Garrett Bradley, who uh, I think she won a prize for her doc short Alone in 2017. And she's made some other uh, films like Below Dreams, I think was her first feature. I had also had the opportunity to talk to her and she's just so impressive. Yeah. Um, loved her film. It's it's kind of, uh, it's born out of the Burt Williams, Williams film, Line, Lime Kiln Club Field Day, something like that. And it, it this film made in 1913 that uh, was just, you know, lay in obscurity for about 100 years and then was restored by the Museum of the Modern Art and unveiled to the public in uh, 2014. And it's a really remarkable film because it featured an interracial production crew and an all-black cast, and obviously directed by Burt Williams, who's Caribbean. Uh, just about a decade or so after the Jim Crow laws were sort of like start, uh, you know, put in place. So it's, it's a really uh, remarkable example of this kind of subversive production that was taking place in a time that we just think of as oppressive towards you know black people in America. And she was just very fascinated by the, the resurgence of this film and was interested in kind of using it to trace or to, uh, to trace the history of black cinema from then to now. And to think of it as something that's continuous and not like a wave or a moment as we are often want to describe or, or think of as black, uh, as black cinema. But obviously there isn't uh, a lot of footage. I mean, there's not a lot of silent films preserved from between 1912 to like 1939 or something. There's a, there's a survey that came out that said that 70% of those films in general of American silent feature films from that time are lost. So what she does is she takes that time period And she has this list of about 12 events in American history, important events for uh, African-Americans that have also been rendered invisible. And she recreates them with residents of New Orleans where she works. And and so she made these 12 short films recreating a variety of these these moments and intersperses them with stills from the Burt Williams Mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's just such a fascinating mix of archive and documentary of past and present. And and a lot of the things that she's recreated are not always even recreations. So there's a scene, there's a, a short with horse riders, and she just filmed like actual horse riders in New Orleans who have been practicing this trade for like over many generations. So it's kind of like an act of also preserving the present and the past mm-hmm. at the same time. I just, it's, and it's just beautiful to watch. I mean, uh, the shots that she's filmed, a lot of them kind of take place against this inky black space. And you, you really have the sense of of these individuals being suspended in time. And uh, they're just very evocative. There's a shot of young black children listening to the radio. And then they have a dream. And that dream is another one of the shorts. So these kinds of very interesting things. There's there's a a, a little bit with uh, black Boy Scouts wearing Black Panther hats. And kind of standing again, you know, framed against the American flag, and and so uh, obviously a lot of what makes the film interesting is kind of this attendant context, which. Uh you know, you might not know if you don't kind of dig deeper. But I just want to say that the film itself is also just so watchable. It's uh, composed by Trevor Matheson, who's part of the who was part of the Black Audio Film Collective. So, uh, just a very wonderfully constructed film and a great entry point, I think. I think into learning about histories that that are invisibilized. So
2: I've been hearing about. I, I, I'm, that was a. Yeah. I I've been dying to see that film. Yeah, but now you, I want to see it even more. So and Garrett's a phenomenal filmmaker and one of the right. really one of the more talented American filmmakers going. So that's wonderful to hear.
3: And I just wanted to add one thing before yeah. I forget. She's going to turn this into an installation that'll be kind of a touring installation. And and I she didn't reveal the full details, but it'll be in various cities. So people have a chance to experience this in a more material, experiential way as well, which I definitely suggest everyone keep an eye out for it.
1: Well, we're almost uh, near the end of our of our time. Um, uh, I know there are a couple more films, but there's definitely one film I wanted to hear about that I admit I didn't finish. But Eric did <laughs> and liked it. So let's hear
2: Eric. So yeah, a film I saw um, yesterday or a couple days ago, Sila um, and the Spades by Tyreisha Poe. Um, first feature, um, it was in the next section. And I don't think it's a perfect film. There's, a, there's something a little bit rough in, in certain aspects of it. That said, but that's kind of honestly more about the nature of Sundance and how I I feel like there's an inevitability in terms of the rush to finish for Sundance films, that there's a different film that will emerge a few months from now for a lot of films that we're seeing. And so whenever I see a film that has so much going for it or so much uniqueness about it, when there's... When there's some when there when there are aspects of it that are a little bit rough i actually take that to be maybe the film's not quite finished um but i think this film that said there's a real tone to this that struck me there's a way in which i don't know it's 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 thinking about bodies in space and thinking about a kind of heightened sense of character and heightened sense of situation that is not being used to um establish anything ironic or even actually very light um there's this kind of I'm, I'm reaching for something here but there's something about the way that this film is executed that almost leans into the horror realm in terms of heightened interactions and heightened characterizations to to get to that end but it's not doing that at all so in some ways it's in this third space where it, there, there's something about the way that shots are framed the way that scenes play out that you might be want to you want it to become a horror film you might want it to become a broad comedy or a stylized comedy and it's neither it's actually winds up being a pretty interesting portrait of a bad girl you know of a mean girl um and it's a sort of head cheerleader head of kind of a gang and there's like it's a, it's a it's a, it's a boarding school that has like four major factions and those factions rule the school and do different and specialize in different things. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's heightened in that way, but it really winds up being a, for the most part about this one, the, 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 the sort of the leader who is very compelling and very beautiful and very smart, but also has that kind of senior year. What's what's next? Do I have what I have all this power at the age of 18 in this environment? I can't fathom how i'm supposed to move on from this so therefore i have to grab on to power as much as i can so it winds up being a really sympathetic portrait of somebody who is acting unsympathetically throughout the film and i think that that kind of way of trying to make sense of that age group um i I found really compelling you know um it didn't feel like it was being told from the point of view of the future or from adulthood and also didn't seem to be um selling the lives of the youth as being some operatic, you know, uh, more important than anything beyond itself. Um, anyway, so it, it's, it's a kind of a, I don't know if the right word would be a kind of parlor film where it's, 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 um, it exists within the environment of itself. And there are just a few adult characters. And those are kind of sympathetically portrayed too as being just incapable of accessing the world of the teenage children. I don't know. I mean, I didn't grow up in a boarding school. I didn't grow up in a private school. I didn't go to a private school at that age. I would imagine that there's a lot there that resonates for people who did and the sort of thing where you want to see a few films like this at Sundance, where I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know who this filmmaker is, and I'm really excited that that, that something's being articulated that's unique. Well, I, I'm, I'm very glad to hear all that. I mean, I, you know, I wish that I'd heard
1: your description. Yeah, because I just I saw it, and I feel like it's a film that's ill-served by its opening, which sort of seems to serve to like pull people in, or pull a programmer in, or pull someone in. Right. It's this kind of introduction, this kind of like yeah, you know, um, s- smarter, smart aleck introduction of the groups at the school, which. I don't know that the movie really returns to in any major way so much as, as no,
2: focusing on her, her it's, character. it's part yeah it's part of the, something that feels a little bit forced or ill-conceived about because yeah. it yeah though those other factions don't really evolve yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah um and i guess i can just thinking about the kernel i saw i can i can
2: sense what you're talking about t- the t- the tone being something interesting. Yeah, It's the sort of thing where I feel like there was an idea early in the process of these factions and yeah. then so much other really interesting things developed in the writing and directing process yeah. that those things became an inessential, but maybe it was just impossible to get rid of them. Or maybe yeah. there was not a desire to get rid of them, yeah. but I, I don't think that winds up being all that important.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I would like to think, because it kind of makes it more fun, that those were used to sell the idea of the film and then she did what she wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we're sort of at the end of our time. Um, I... On this podcast not on earth don't worry listeners (laughs) we're all in good health as far as i know
3: the end is nigh the end is
1: (laughs) not um i want to give a shout out to a movie called britney runs a marathon which i thought i don't need to say much more than fulfilling all sorts of sundance cliches and stereotypes and and what annoys me most is it's the sort of movie that always is at the same time panders to the audience and sort of has characters who are always doing the worst things they can uh, or sometimes the meanest things they can all slathered with often very very witty and fun dialogue so it just goes uneasy people do things because they serve the screenplay not because they serve characters that's another thing that is just epidemic here and you know ending with uh you know inspirational um, ending that is that they've already they've built up by having an over-the-top near self-destruction just beforehand it's just I just find it in such a, a, a cynical thing. Uh, at least I hope it's cynical because that would indicate some actual intent behind it. Um, so yeah, Brittany runs a marathon <laughs> is uh, showing here at Sundance.
2: Well, we're, we're running a marathon here. We are running a
1: marathon <laughs> and we got to keep our, keep our breath and, and uh, keep our pace. So I think we'll all be dispersing now. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Uh, and thank you all our listeners and thank you both. Thank you. Thank you guys. You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.